This is the MG Car Club Podcast. On this episode, how I ran over Pat Moss. Stories from a former factory worker at Abingdon. Hello and welcome to the MG Car Club podcast, another episode with me, Wayne Scott. Hope you're well and hope you're looking forward to the centenary year that lays ahead of us here in the worldwide MG family. We're starting celebrations, of course, throughout 2023 and indeed 2024 to mark the 100 years of MG. And it all starts at Silverstone between the 10th and 11th of June for MG and Triumph 100. And I mention it because as I record this podcast, it is a little over two weeks to go until early bird discounts end. Now, this is 20% off the tickets on top of the club discount that you already get by inputting your MG Car Club membership number when you book tickets. So worth buying now, also worth joining the club now. If you're not already a member, you can join very easily online at mgcc.co.uk, where also you can find all of the events listings for the centenary year ahead, and of course the latest news from the car club as well. But for the event I'm talking about, you need to head to mgtriumph100.co.uk, look at all the amazing things that are happening there including motorsport from all the eras of mg and triumph on the full f1 circuit at silverstone that's the exciting bit at uh, the full deal also we've got all of the club displays for you a triumph and mg centenary timeline showing the evolution of the models throughout the ages and of course a big trade show auto jumble we've got the california cup auto test we've got auto solos as well all sorts of motorsport the lifestyle marquee where you can get fashion food and more we'll have live music and i'll be hosting the live arena where we make the cars of the visitors the stars of the show and find out more about them with some of our timeline cars some of our exhibitors cars as well looking forward to doing that and joining me in the live arena throughout both days saturday and sunday the 10th and 11th of june we have the welcome return of the world's best stunt driving team. Yes, it is the Russ Swift stunt driving experience. They're going to be with us for both days. Very much looking forward to working with Russ Swift again. He's going to be doing stunts in MGs as well. He's dragged a few of them out of the barn and dusted them off for us. And it's going to be a great spectacle. He's going to be doing all of the usual favourites, parallel parking on the handbrake, up on two wheels, all that kind of stuff. Plus, a few new additions to the show that we might not have seen before. And it might be you that he ends up putting in the passenger seat or helping him out in some way, get the stunts done. So it could be you involved in the show. So be a part of it. It's going to be a fantastic way to mark 100 years of MG. mgtriumph100.co.uk. Get your tickets now because it's 20% off before the end of February 2023. Uh, now's the time to buy them. So go on there. You can find out all the news uh, about what's happening as well and sign up for updates via the little e-newsletter that we have running on there. So really exciting event to look forward to and lots of motorsport to enjoy during that weekend as well. 
But on this episode of the podcast, we go back in time as we have another one of our interviews from the MG Abingdon Factory Workers Reunion that happened at Kimber House, of course, the home of the MG Car Club, situated right near the location of the old factory in Abingdon. And in the previous episode, we heard from Orlando Vito, who was a foreman at MG, and he'd progressed from being a T-boy right the way up the ranks. In this episode, we're meeting a pair of friends, John Wood and Adrian Goodenough, who were at school together. They joined MG at the same time, and Adrian is going to tell us how he ran over Pat Moss. Seriously, this is a hilarious story, and it's all to come alongside all sorts of other memories of theirs from their time working on midgets and trim and various other bits uh, at Abingdon. And Adrian actually worked in the works department, of course, working on competition MGs, but also Healy's and even Triumphs. He even remembers the land speed record cars as well. So lots of great memories from that pair coming up in this episode. And I've presented this interview for you completely uncut, unedited, just literally as it happened because these two are gold. I think you'll enjoy this. So make yourself a brew, settle back, and enjoy our trip back in time to remember the stories of the former workers of Abingdon Next. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centres and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, Join us now at mgcc.go.uk Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast. Well, our next pair that join us here at Kimber House for the MG Car Club's reunion of ex-MG employees is a pair of people that uh, apparently go nowhere unless they're together, so we'll find out why. It is John Wood and Adrian Goodenough, and uh, John worked on midget trim, amongst other things. What we're learning is that when you worked on uh, the line at MG, you worked across many different disciplines, and Adrian will tell us about uh, some of the jobs that he had during his time there. John, I'll start with you. You were just, before we started recording, giving me a really good breakdown, basically, on how the average day was. And, of course, you started as a T-boy, didn't you? Yes. I started in inspection, and I had to collect teas for 20-odd workers in there. And then I went on from inspection onto the big production line at downstairs MGs, which had about 40 blokes on there, and they all wanted their tea delivered by exactly 10 o'clock. And we used to collect the tea from the canteen, pay the canteen. I used to collect the money off the blokes. Then we used to pay the canteen. They used to make us tea and coffee, and we had to buy the blokes rolls, cigarettes, sweets, anything they wanted. And it all had to be delivered by 10 o'clock, exactly. Um, if we didn't, we was in trouble ourselves with the blokes. Mm-hmm. And it, so it, it turned out that we had to run everywhere. And on that particular line, it was when I had to, and all the rest of the T-boys on the production lines, had to wheel in, in uh, wheeled canisters oil from the oil stores to feed every engine, back axle and gearbox. And we had to bring that in by hand until one day they had it all piped across right. from, from the stores. 
So the, the majority of the day was pushing around oil for the gearboxes, back axles and and uh, engines. And in between times, we used to work for the blokes to make subs up for them. Little tiny jobs where they had nuts and bolts and we used to line them all up for them so they could just grab hold of the, the nuts and bolts and springs and flats and put them straight into their air guns and straight into the cars. Right. It saved them doing it. Yeah. So, and they used to pay us um, tips at the end of the, the week, oh, which really? usually ended up on a big production line more than what you earned because mm-hmm. the, the, the wages, was, they were good, I suppose, compared to any other job in the area but they weren't great wages mm-hmm. and um and presumably because you're on piece work at that time well, the blokes were on piece work and they wanted as soon as they finished they went home yeah until measured day work came in okay. um so the tips were to encourage you to help them so they could get yes, done quicker yeah they they ultimately got home quicker could gotcha. uh, because we used to help them yes amazing and this goes back very early this relationship we adrian 15, doesn't it so 15, yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> right the day after boxing day 1960 that's it we started, we started. the very first right. day yeah at 15 at yes. 15 yes amazing yeah and you were at school together as well were you yes yes, yes. Yeah, so we there's no escaping each other, no, escaping, and we no. still see each other because Adrian lives in Devon now, right? Or Somerset, Somerset. and I, I just live over the hill in Stevenson, yes. So, was this a sort of rite of passage for anyone who lived in Abingdon then? You, you, you got out of school as quick as you could and you went to work for MG, more or less, yes, yeah, because um. So there was lots of work in Abingdon and around. We could have worked anywhere. I was about to start my apprenticeship at Longworths in Abingdon, which was an instrument maker. My brother already worked there, and he said he got me a job there. But my oldest brother, Basil, worked at MG's. He came home not long before Christmas and said, Miss Brew would like to see you. She was personnel manager at MG. So I went to see Miss Brew. She said, do you want to start? I said yes and say so it started as a shop boy and uh, in fact my first job was up on Progress which was um, most of them chaps bought the bodies in from where they were unloaded and then there was another part of Progress where they was bringing brake pipes in from the, where they were being bent down the stairs and brought up to Trim Deck to be uh, hung above the lines and I used to help them out and uh, then it would say three months there then it was three months in another department um, so the best department I was in was uh, competitions right okay and I used to help in there and then of course we was taken out in rally cars because mm-hmm. um, of course it wasn't just MG's being prepared here either no, was it it was no. Austin Healy's Minis even Triumphs That's as well right. yeah won't talk about the triumphs <laughs> but uh yeah it was, competitions was uh mainly healers and mgas and at the back of b block there was um cars all parked down the back and i learned myself to drive down there oh. so creep out the back in our spare time just drove about 100 yards park the car and then i did this every day until i got more confident and then i asked the foreman who I think was Tommy Wellman, mm-hmm. could I have a licence? And he said, well, you'd have to take a test with Harry Schillerbeer. And so fixed me up with Harry Schillerbeer, have a test, and I passed. And uh, 
that was it then. So I was driving everywhere. Um, out of competitions, I mean, just across the road was the stairs to the canteen. So to use a, get in a car, a rally car, it was started off as an MGA, just to drive across the yard to these iron stairs, up the canteen, get all the food, back again, and uh, in, back into comps. And uh, then the storeman in there had a Morris Cowley as a runabout. We used to go to get all the spares and stuff. And I used to use that as well. And uh, I was down, driving it down by the main gate, going out, and the guard on the gate rang up Doug Watts and uh, said, your van's driving about with nobody in it. I said, what? Of course, next minute I come driving in to comps. Goes to look between the steering wheel, you see, <laughs> being a bit small. And they all had a good laugh about that. Yeah, the van's riding about with nobody in it. And then another time driving in there, as I drove in quite fast, um, Pat Moss was running out and had a run across the bonnet of the car, the van I was in. I'm in trouble now. <laughs> I've only gone and killed Sterling Moss's sister. <laughs> yeah, she thought it was so funny and laughed. Stuart Turner didn't. Take that chap's name, you know. I thought, oh dear, I'm in trouble now. But anyway, it was all right. But uh, then after that, after that, I was driving the cars from uh, off of test up to rectification. Okay. That was another little job I was doing. Mm-hmm. And one particular day, I picked John up in the car. So for a, ride. For a little ride. So <laughs> you, you went up, you went up the compound, up, up to Red Vacation. Then there was a hill and a bend by the boiler house, and then you had a big car, huge wet, uh, about fourteen acres, I think it was, of bond uh, enough It's all new cars. All cars lined up, and uh, driving. Well, not very fast was I along the back road and some chap Wu and I pulled out in front of us and uh, we hit head on well we T-boned I T-boned him and uh, badly damaged both MGBs didn't it I did tell John to run away because he wasn't I supposed to be out, there and I had to run away run away quick <laughs> and keep my head down so no one saw then I had to walk down and see George it. Morris Oh, who wow. was very efficient, you know. And I said, I've just had an accident. Well, I'm not going up there now. It's done lunchtime. So he made me sweat. I went home for lunch, come back home, frightened to death. Anyway, I went to see him. We walked up the compound. He see these two cars. He went berserk. Then then he got in touch with Harry Schillerbeer, who I had to walk up the compound with him and show him what had happened. And uh, I thought, this is the end for my career at MGs, you know. But uh, I got three days suspension. But the other chap worked for Nuffield Exports that I hit. And, of course, he had one... He could only see out of one eye, and he couldn't, didn't, never saw me. He pulled out of a row of cars. And I was going along the back straight. So I had three days suspension for that, didn't I? Wow. And... Uh, and I should have had three days suspension as well, but right. I, I, I run off and got away with it. But <laughs> that was one of those things, isn't it? That's I mean, a, it happened a lot. That's a, so John's, while this story was being told, John's holding up a little uh, card. It's about the size of a credit card. It's on a piece of uh, very sort of stiff card, and it says on it, 
MG Car Company Limited driving permit. And it's got John's name on it and his clock number, um, so we can identify when he clocks in and out. And it's dated uh, 16th of December 1964, which uh, then expired on the same date in 1967. So... Um, on the back it says the holder of this certificate is permitted to drive a motor car as authorised by the MG Car Company Limited on MG Car Com- Company premises only. And uh, presumably then, John, you had to carry this little licence everywhere you went. It. It, it was all on record that you had a licence. Yeah. Right, OK. And it wasn't much of a test, was it? Not really. It was just um, drive around the block and he made you stop quick and everything. Yeah. Harry Shillabier was a... Driving instructor, instructor. ex and I don't know metropolitan policeman as well. Sign boy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Authorised by someone we don't we don't know who, but uh, yeah. It's so not Mr. Gunn, is it? He was a personnel man. Wrong, oh, no. Gunn. Wrong no. Gunn. No, that isn't it. But uh, when we when we when we when we became eighteen, um, or was it before that? We were always asked to join the union. Uh-huh. And uh, did, were you in that one? I had to join that. Uh, so we, well, we NUVB it was N- called. N- but yeah, NUVB. Right. Okay. And that's the union card, um, and and the chap there you can just about see his name, Jack Adams. He was our union representative for the factory. Right. Okay, so it says it's a, this is a slightly larger piece of car that I'm holding here. Um, it's green, and it says on it Transport and General Workers Union, Central Office in Westminster. General Secretary at the time was Jack Jones, and uh, this is uh, John's membership card. Um, and of course, it does remind you that contributions are deducted from wages. So from wages, uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it wasn't free to join the union, and but we uh, had, it was a closed shop, and we had to be in the yeah, union. Yeah. As early as they could get us in the union, they did. Unlike a lot of the factories up in Coventry, the likes of Jaguar, for example, and, and Triumph, and the Roots Group companies, the, the union didn't seem to stop production here at MG like you heard them we, doing in Coventry. I, I we were we were shut out quite a lot automatically put on um well a block was on short time well, because we, of shortages of material coming in sure but it didn't last for that long right i mean they did used to send well i've seen a photograph of the that they used to have wooden wheels didn't they they naturally yeah. went and got on the but put on a train with wooden wheels and that was midgets wasn't it yeah. right. and then that when the wheels caught up with the cars they were fitted obviously so whilst you weren't on strike, you had to stop yeah, because all the factories the, the supplying factory, the parts. The, one funny thing, I always tell people this, that the we had a canteen at MG's and it was run by... Mr Baker. Mer, Peter Merchants. Yeah. Peter Merchants was the main company. Yeah. And we had some beautiful rolls, salmon rolls and savoury rolls and everything. And the canteen decided to put the rolls up in price. Um, I think they put them up by one penny and the whole factory stopped. <laughs> and it stopped for about an hour and they put the rolls back down again. But that, I think that's the only time that the MGs that I knew of actually took action because we were affected by other people's actions from yeah. Cowley and everything, but not by our, by the, our factory's actions, yeah. All production carried on. All production, um. yeah. I mean, we first started fitting steering locks in the 60s, late 60s, and they came from Germany, and there was a shortage of them. So it was just a loom was fitted, so you had to put three wires together Mm -hmm. to start the car and drive it. 
um, the Pilkingtons, they went out on strike once, which was glass, mm-hmm. until we sourced another supplier. We had GT especially with no glass. And worst of all was the seats. Cars had come over from the lines, no seats fitted, so we had to continue driving them right. round. Right. So that really cling on to the steering wheel to drive, especially if you're a bit short. <laughs> and, Sliding uh, around. <laughs> you'd, yeah, if you accelerate too much, you'd go back, you know, but good fun drive. That was indoors, and it was quite a large area over in B Block, where I sort of finished up over that side. Mm. And um, But, yeah, there was never any disputes. Mm. Only once I, that I can remember was uh, when we went on to measure day work. Mm. That was a, a slight problem controversy between a block and b block because they negotiated over an a block they could leave work at quarter past four right whereas b block not to stay till half past four right. and uh so that caused a lot of uh, and the tire bay um went on a work to raw for a few days until they were allowed to go at quarter past four yeah um but apart from that, there was no other dispute, really. Mm. But when measured day work was forced on us, um, we used to do our quota quite early, and um, MG's management offered that they built a car for nothing every day, at the end of the day, mm. so they could go home when they finished that car. Okay. And the works turned it down. So all the blokes had to do, when they finished doing their quota, all they did was play cards and read books and that until the time came when they could clock out and go home. See, Which was, was a was they, really a ridiculous yeah, decision they, by MG management. Yeah. They continued yeah. as if they were on piecework. Yeah, they sure. could rather than measure day work. So yeah. they just continued to they've done mm. their quota. Mm-hmm. And uh, that happened over in B, well, I was in B Block when we'd done the same. Mm. Yeah. And uh, we could finish early. But one day, we had a bit of time, me and Adie had a bit of time to ourselves, and we did a little bit of exploring. And there was a place at MG's that no one really knew about. I expect some people did. Um, and it was under the loading bay. Right. Where the behind, behind where the bodies were lifted up from the lorries and wheeled into the top trim deck where they was fitted with seats and what have you. And so we went exploring we, and we found this, like a big room and we didn't know what was in there. So we got in through the window and in there was um, a load of tools and air tools and windy tools that were used in the Second World War. Huh. So me and AD, we, we took what we could <laughs> <laughs> and uh, got back out and... Uh, and I've I've sold mine now. I've sold my tools because they all had MG brass plates on them. Right, worth right. a fortune now. Yeah. Wow. So you were a couple of rogues, but, you no, two, weren't yeah. you? But we 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 did <laughs> that. Um, we really? we all we did all sorts of things. Yeah. Did it feel like you were a part of history when you were here? Could no. you ever have imagined that here you are sat all these years later and people are so passionate and enthusiastic about those cars you were building that there's a car club here and mm. there's all of this community around it? Did you have any notion that that not would happen? A, not at the time, but no. now we do. Mm. It's I mean, sad, really. It's sad, yeah. You know, I, I took my camera in on a couple of occasions, once when I was working in competitions, and... Um, took pictures of a car that Gerald Whiffin had built and I'd done all the paintwork on that. Mm. 
Um, then we had some racing MGCs that they come into our shop over in the paint shop to do some work on, and then we didn't have time to do it. And I took some pictures of them. Yeah, cheers. And uh, that that was it. You didn't ever think of, mm. you know, the future. Oh, another time when Safety Fast Office shut down when it was above competitions. Um, I went up there once with John Biddle, another chap, and the floor was littered with pictures and photographs and little brass plaques. And it was just all going to be skipped. So I had some all these pictures and um, all for making aircraft wings for the Tempest, um, pictures of the tanks. So I've put them all on this Facebook page. And then also since then, I've had a, a chap... He was called Mr. MG in America. Mm -hmm. uh, Ken Smith, his name was. Mm -hmm. He contacted me. And he came to see me once in 78, 79 and sort of interviewed me for the MG North American magazine. Mm -hmm. And we, we become really good friends and uh, until he passed away recently. But uh, so I wrote loads of snippets for for them. And also... I did a piece on firemen. Hmm. I thought MG firemen, and uh, that went to America. It was two A4 sheets I sent over there, and ended up in the magazine here on Safety Fast, your magazine hmm. from the club here, and uh, just about the lives of everyday firemen, what they did, you know. Hmm. And um, I've got, well, even now I've got memorabilia from from my days and I have to write to this MG magazine in North America now mm -hmm. and let them know what's going on mm. but uh, while you're working there you never give it a thought that mm. one day it was, it was special mm. um, well I, I guess they were special cars even you know your everyday MGB was actually you know it was an aspirational sports car yeah. whilst they were you know far more affordable than some of the other sports cars on the market they were the kind of car you lusted after weren't they oh yes they were yeah i saved yeah. up every penny for an mgb gt yeah and the chap that worked behind me on the line said i was stupid buying it he said you should buy a house instead so that's where the money went on a house i never <laughs> got me mgb that's exactly the same yeah i'm actually holding in my hand an original clocking in form so it's a sort card, of clock card yeah like a long slither of card um it's probably about four inches wide six inches tall a bit longer eight inches tall and this i guess was um you know this was prize possession during the week because you had to stamp this when you came Take in the rack, put it in stamp it and put it on the you're allowed in. three minutes in the morning if you were late, late. Right. Yeah. So you got to be there by seven thirty. You would, but if you got seven thirty-three, you were okay. Seven thirty-four, you lose a quarter of an hour's you pay. Lose a quarter of an hour's pay yeah. unless you took the card out, took it to your foreman, and said, "Can you sign the card for me?" Oh. Seven thirty, yeah. and we, they normally always did. Um, that, uh, but if you had a good mate and you wanted to nip off early, you could clock him out at the right. He'd go early. And then you clock him out at the right time. Yeah. Mm. But they, MG, the management knew what happened anyway. Yeah. But so, the chap in charge. That's an that. original one. That's amazing. And, and unused as well. It's unused, <laughs> and that you can't get them anymore. No. 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 Got a time, that's brilliant. The timekeeper at MG's, 
um, Sid Burridge. Remember Sid? Yes. He used to come around to every clock in every department in the morning with a stopwatch and make sure it was absolutely spot on with Gwenny's mean time. Really? Every morning. Yeah. But people tried magnets to, to advance the <laughs> clock and all sorts to do it. And we used to cheer at him if he'd done it wrong, you know. And of course, and at night, if you wanted to go early, um, about 4.30, the clock was always slow for some reason. He'd been over there and altered it again. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the wages department and, and, the, and the time people, they were really good. Yeah. They were really understanding and they were really nice. Mm. The whole factory was a pleasure to work at. I mean, I got my mortgage while I worked there. Got no complaints about the factory no. whatsoever. And it was really, really hard work. Mm. And we used to work on trim deck, which had a glass. One side of the roof was glass and the other side was solid. And they used to, it was really hot issues with salt tablets because to mix the water to drink yeah, sure. um, because it was so hot up there yeah. but when you've done a whole day um, on the production line you knew you, you knew you'd done it mm. it was hard work yes because mm. you had to work so fast see yeah. and you couldn't hold the line up at all yeah. or else you had the, the, the foreman's if you held a car up your the foot you had held it up two or three times and the union bloke would be there your foreman mm. would be there and want to know why you were, you were doing it and if you did cross-threaded and the rectification bloke up the line took too long in doing it I want to know why it was all going mm. cross-threaded and everything you know what I mean it was it was mm. really you had to you had to really get it right first time for the line to carry on an insight I guess into the fact that in order to make money out of building cars everything every last second on the line has to be efficient it's doesn't exactly it exactly right and it's got to be fed at the right time yeah. the right colour seats used when there was different colours all had to be brought up yeah. I was fortunate enough not to work on the line no <laughs> I was over in B block where he was privileged yeah all the paint work was yeah. done and, um, yeah paint rectification um, then I was farmed out to competitions for Two years, mm. and that was doing the works minis then, wow. the heelys and the minis, fabulous. Putting the white squares on the side and spraying the roofs yeah, and huh. stuff like that. And were they a sort of separate department that no one sort of engaged with, or they sort of looked no, up? No, or... not really, because they were in B one of B B, but it was seven units. It was in there. number one, weren't they? It was in there number was one. The all the time. Yeah, you could always look but, in there. The door was always open. But if they wanted something. For a particular car, they they chaps walk over on the line to okay. get it, or if not, Neville, the storeman, and they would drive to Cowley or Longbridge to get bits for the cars. And um, yeah, so when I was working in there, I used to they tell me I must go out with John Organ, um, one of the mechanics in there, because he'd take you around marching bends, driving with one finger, like I know he's all right, and certainly he did. He you know took me round these marching bends in a little mini, uh, driving off, showing off with one finger through these bends, frightened me to death. <laughs> and another time I went out with Gerald, whiffing in a big Healy, that he'd just finished, but the the tunnel cover wasn't on. And um, so we see the prop shaft all the way through. And we were coming back again through marching bends, you know, about 80 mile an hour around marching bend, which is a 30 now. Mm. And... Uh, heading towards Abingdon 
we were doing 120 and I remember a lorry in front of us and it was just we as if we were if the lorry was stood still we just went round this lorry and wow unbelievable but were you there in 64 when Paddy Hopkirk yes. had his big win? What was the atmosphere like there then? Well, it was all quiet until they all came home. Sure. Because cars went on to the play. Oh, no, we rushed to do two more replicas. Oh, right. We had Because everybody wanted that mini. Because it went on to the London Palladium. And then somebody else, wanted, another dealership, wanted it somewhere else up in Birmingham. So we had to do two replicas of the... The works minis, thirty-seven on the side, and I'd rush them through, um, so they could go out. So the actual mini that won the rally was up on the Palladium, and then it yeah. stayed in London for a few days while we did that. But yeah, a lot of celebrations at home, then I suppose at the factory. Mm. And um, amazing, amazing moment in history now that we look back Looking on, back, but, yeah, yeah, but you're just preparing for the next rally, yeah, you know, sure, all the yeah. time. Yeah, work to do to improve on what went wrong on the last one, I yes, guess. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. the shame, shame was, when competitions finished, they, all the people that worked in competitions had to be deployed throughout the factory. Sure. So some of the foremen that were in there, they ended up on production, which is a shame, really, because all that knowledge and brains and mm. everything was purely just wasted. Yeah. And we always wondered why competitions just shut. Mm. Ultimately, I get the sense, though, that there was a, a sort of an underlying current of pride about what was, went yeah. on. Because yeah. every year we used to have a big dance um, down in the, uh, the Guild Hall, yeah. in which management went as well as... Um, yeah. And it was all all together, you know what I mean? must have been terribly sad then when yeah, you learned you learned of the the day it was shutting what yeah. what are your memories well, of the I, day I, you got I to I left all? seven years before it shut right. but I do remember it shutting obviously yeah. um and and I mean they had walks and protests about it and everything but I don't think anything was going to alter their what they decided on shutting it and then they just shut it down mm. yeah I was fortunate enough because I, I went from Abingdon, I went to Fiat right. and I worked up in Fiat in Brentford mm-hmm. and uh, I ended up doing quality control for them. I used to tour around Newcastle because where they were importing them, they brought them in at Paul, Paul Harbour and I used to go down there and train some of the chaps down there and then up at North Shields, I think it was, it was the other place. Mm-hmm. And Warrington, there's three different areas they used to import these Fiat's, and uh, it was introducing the Fiat Strada and, at the time. Wow, X one nines. Yeah. And another pe- thing people don't really realise, like it's silly things like all the MG midgets and sprites bodies were built in Lenefley. They had just the other side of Swansea, brought back up to Morris's, sprayed, and then brought over here. Wow, which yeah. seems a lot of money yeah. for very little. You can understand. You can understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, and that's oh, how it all worked. But it's still a great place just to work. Wonderful memories oh, yeah. to come and share with everyone but here as well. But when you were when you were a T boy and you went round a lot of the departments, you got to know all the blokes. Yeah. And when I started, no one ever came and started at MGs for years, did they? Not really, but, no, uh, no. If they did, they were, they were trying to come over from um, 
uh, radiators. We had a batch of blokes and radiators yeah. come over, but were transferred to MGs. Osborne and radiators from up the Woodstock Road. That's it, up the yeah. Woodstock Road. And um, but you soon got to know everyone. Mm. I mean, I knew virtually everyone apart from management in the in the factory, more or less. Mm. Mm. Yeah, great family. It's yeah, family. a very family orientated factory. Yeah. My brother started. Yeah, at MGs. Nothing to moan about at all. He started in 1945. Wow. And his job was down at the Western Helens factory. Right. Until it caught fire. Yeah. And uh, That's it. he had a, a delivery bike, which, because he used to do all, he was in an office then, and he used to do all the office work down at the Western Helens, and then put it on this big delivery bike, which is still around. I think somebody in Cemetery Road got it. Mm. And uh, bike down to the main factory with it. But I didn't know they did a little bit of production work down oh, yeah. down in West St Helens. I've only found that out recently where they right. made wings for TC or something down there. Yeah. Um, yeah, then my brother, well, he, he'd done his stint in the army in uh, 52, 53, and then um, come back to MG. Um, he was on the MGA for a long time. Then he ended up in special tuning. Um, went special tuning transferred to Cowley he went with that right, right. so he was at MG since he was four, 14 he started was there a sort of bit of competition between you guys and Cowley at the time I don't think so not really, really. We were, they, they were on moving lines yeah we weren't on moving lines no, really. yeah. when you got a moving line it only can go at a certain speed mm -hmm. yeah. so we could go faster than them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. much faster than a moving line by yeah. pushing them up by hand yeah. mm -hmm. But um, um, so there was no competition because you were just better, basically. <laughs> of course, we were better. Yeah. Um, and and um, over there, they were more strict on their unions. They had more, yeah. but they seemed to be. Yeah. And um, higher volumes. I but guess. higher volumes, moving yeah. lines, and everything else. Mm. Yeah. And uh, the amount of people that worked in the factory yeah. was, was much greater. Yeah. yeah. But this factory, I mean, down here we had uh, the surgery, didn't we? And if you felt ill or anything, or had too fate, you went down. But you had to get relieved, a uh, relief, because as another thing on the line, um, you were only allowed ten minutes to go to the toilet, mm -hmm. and you had to have a bloke come round, do your job, then you go to the next bloke, then go to the next bloke. Right. So if you wanted a wee, you had to time it right, <laughs> and <laughs> every day. And then you just couldn't walk off the line. Yeah, you yeah. just cannot walk off the line. You were stuck on the line. What did you do then? Did you just put your hand up for well, no, relief you to see you? Or you, you, you catch yeah, him on your des pasture? Desperate situations. You could ask ask the <laughs> for relief off the right. off the foreman, but but you just. You, I suppose I think the body just got used to it, didn't it? You yeah. know. Well, I was say I didn't go on the line, so I didn't no, know about so, that. But, but I was um, enough. yeah. And then we had the saving scheme, didn't we? Do you remember the saving yes, scheme? They yeah. took money out of your wages. Then you had to get a yellow form to go and apply for it. And when you were a tea boy, and the bloke had to, you had to take the bloke's yellow forms down to personnel, and then they got paid money out of their saving scheme. They were called yellow perils. Wow, right. And I should have one, and I haven't. Yeah. Uh, a yellow peril. I've got one. Do you remember? And that's what yeah. I used to call them, wasn't it? I've, yellow perils. Yeah, in seven, 79, 99, Brian Boyd and myself, we arranged a huge carnival sort of type thing here. And all my memorabilia, I took it to the museum. 
Did you really? Uh, raffle tickets, yeah, oh. uh, all sorts of stuff like that. And the yellow perils, I was thinking. And also, at that time, <clears throat> we had chairs in the factory, all of us. Right. So every Christmas, we had a payment. Oh, they called in Tigers. In Tigers, yeah. So we had a payment. And uh, up until 78, 78, I think it was like 76. Anyway, they suddenly decided to stop it. And, well, it was frozen. They said they'd owe it to us, but it was frozen. Mm. And uh, it, it's all as time went on. Maybe it'd be got forgotten about, you know. Mm. But I've got an Antigua's uh, thing at home somewhere. Um, and on um, on trim deck, we had a lady called Lucy that worked on trim deck. She did special trimming jobs. And uh, she used to make the tea boys these pouches. Oh, wow. To carry her money in. That is the genuine MG trim and she used to do this and put a little zip in there for us and that's stunning yeah that's yeah. that's 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 made out of genuine mgb seating oh, is it yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah, yeah trimming what she had over fantastic and what what i'm looking at here is just a like a wallet basically yeah, that flips she, up because um, we had a lot of cash when the, when we took the money off the blokes yeah. to collect yeah and we ended up with a lot of cash at the end of the day and wow. um, mostly small cash and that yeah. And here's a, a little piece of paper, a red piece of paper. And this is the membership for the Social and Athletic Club of the MG. Um, the membership card for 1970. And uh, I think I two pence a week we had to pay. Right, for that. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And this gave you access to all sort of different facilities as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they had all sorts of clubs at the oh, MG. Loads of clubs. Rifle Club, they had. Dance, you know, dancing. Auto section. Auto um, section. The caravan club, which is... Caravan, which I ran. Adrian ran that for years. Caravan club. It's, that has only just finished recently. Wow. Um, I had to give that up. Swimming club, I ran. Badminton club. Was there fishing? To run. Was there fishing? There was a fishing section. Archery. Yeah. There was archery once, wasn't there? Les Lamborn um, started the archery section. Yeah, that's fact, right. I just recently put that chap on. on the line, wasn't it, from uh, Sutton Courtney? His name was Wilkinson. Wilkinson, yeah. Because they used to whistle the Robin Hood tune when they used to walk yeah. about. Yeah, there was a load of piss takers. <laughs> it was all take the piss all the time. Yeah, if you could stand it, you was all right. Yeah. Well, you were allowed guests, but members were responsible for the behaviour of their guests. You had to sign them in. Yeah, and they had to be signed in according to the rules, and there must be no canvassing for signatures to obtain entry for non-members. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we are. That's fantastic. Wonderful you've kept hold of all this stuff as well. Oh, that's for the Raffle H. Oh, here we are. Yeah, 1967 Grand Christmas Draw, over 300 prizes. And, In um, the canteen, that was... Uh, this is ticket 11842, so it just shows you how many people were in the drawer at the factory at the time. And uh, you had to buy it before the 15th of December. Uh, it, the drawer was made in the works canteen at 1 o'clock on the 20th of December. That was a Wednesday in 1967. Yeah. And uh, up for grabs were poultry, spirits, wines, cakes, hampers and cigarettes. It was good. It was good. <laughs> Fantastic. There we are. Over 300 prizes. And yeah. We used to have um, a, a scrap heap here at MG's where they used to put scrap on a big heap and we could buy it. Right. And there's stuff that I've bought. <laughs> Look at this. Um, so these are the docket receipts yeah, that docket John's receipts. handed me. So, um, so um, 
you can okay, so you brought two wings here. They're midget wings. Midget wings, that's it. From development, X development. And you, it, they cost you a fortune here. What's that? Fifty p each. Fifty is it? p each. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> How many midget owners would love to buy wings for fifty yeah. pence now? Amazing. So and why then, were they on the scrap heap then? Were they, they slightly were faulty dumped, or they, they were used in test crashes? And if they they did one up, you know, they used to just throw in the, well, the com com competition minis. Okay. Yeah. You often got a mini in cut into four right. and chucked on the scrap heap. Not the engine, but yeah. most of the loom and switches was in there. Oh, wow. And what then and then the 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 local garage Hartwells complained to MGs that we were buying stuff off the scrap heap. We should be buying it off of them. So, well, that's what happened, and then they stopped selling us the stuff. So I complained to the union that if we bought stuff off for for um, scrap, the money went to the hospital next door, mm -hmm. but nothing was ever heard of that again. Well, they transferred mm -hmm. it over to Cowley all our scrap. Yeah, they they did right. a lot of scrap. So we could go over there if we got a um, the card for being in the uh, the club. Um, we could go to Cowley certain night, it was our yeah. turn, and we could buy cheap stuff from over there. Right, right. I mean, I had a Morris Minor at the time, and I wanted a new bumper. So yeah. uh, I bought a big Healy bumper. I think I bought that from Arena, and that was two and six months. <laughs> and it fitted. It fit, I got it to fit, yeah. It <laughs> and nice. a long time ago, we had, I think it was it twice a day, music while you work. Oh, yeah. Over the loudspeaker system. system. Yes. And right. when it went to Radio 1, 2 and 3, they stopped it. Mm. Right. Because okay. they didn't, they probably thought the music wasn't, didn't <laughs> yeah. represent music while you work stuff. They didn't have control That's over it anymore. Stuff. Well, yeah. it was, again, Sid Burridge was in charge of that, the timekeeper. He'd be stood at the top of his stairs by his office, waiting for 11 o'clock before he actually switched the radio on. And everybody joined in with dam busters and everything. It was good. Yeah, so that was something that was missed. Yeah, sure. You know, but we complained and they couldn't put it, they wouldn't mm. put it back on again, so. No. Fantastic to hear about your friendship that obviously well, started week. before MG, yeah. but I think, you know, it's the thing you yeah. now have in common the most, I suppose, those memories of working for it's that fantastic family, factory. Really. Yeah. Because <laughs> when we meet now, you can guess what the conversation yeah, is. Absolutely. And the memories of MGs, and we try and remember people's names. Yeah. See, every week I put pictures of former employees on our MG page. Okay. You think people listening will want to be on it? So, yes, where do yeah. we find it? What's it called? It's, well, it's just MG Car Company. Okay. Former employees. Right. On With, Facebook? On Facebook, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's on Facebook. Excellent. We'll find it. Look, I'll put all these pictures on tonight that I've taken yeah. today. There it is, yeah. MG Car Company Abingdon, former employees group. And uh, there it is on Facebook. Easy for you to join. Thank you very much to John and to Adrian. Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.uk.